We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. You can also check out their website, andyanddon.com. Uh, That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can check out old archive shows there and ask... Uh, a question there as well via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, Scott. Scott. Welcome uh, to February. Yeah, it's boy, oh boy. Already. And you know wow. what? Uh, hopefully there's more sunshine in February than there was in <laughs> exactly. January. Certainly on the financial front. Uh, the secret sauce to an annuity. Ah, you know, we've been, talking, we've been talking about annuities several times mm-hmm. on the show over the last several months. And, and, and annuities keep popping up in terms of our retirement income solutions. Mm -hmm. And so everybody at some point, you know, as you begin to think about your retirement and your your money is piling up inside your RSPs, your money is piling up inside your investments, and you're thinking, how do I convert this to an income? How do I get an income stream for my retirement? How do Mm -hmm. I create my retirement paycheck, as we often call it? Mm -hmm. And what's, what's interesting is about how annuities have come fallen in and out of grace and it's it's dependent for a lot of people on things like interest rates tend to come to mind well if interest rates are higher mm-hmm. I should be in an annuity because I'll get a higher payout if interest rates are lower maybe they're not such a good deal I'm going to avoid annuities and the biggest part of the annuity is always that risk that if you die young how much do you actually get back you're giving up yeah. that potential legacy in other words leaving a lump sum to your beneficiaries by purchasing an annuity because it ends when 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 right. you Went. And but oddly enough, if you think about all the people that belong to a defined benefit pension plan, a DB plan, a defined benefit pension plan, where they know that if they work for thirty years, mm-hmm. they're going to get uh, a percentage of their pay, and that's going to start the day they retire, and it's going to pay them a monthly check for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm plus possibly indexing. So a defined benefit pension plan is something that's very coveted. So if I came to you, if you, let's say you had a defined benefit pension plan, I said, well, Scott, we think there's a better solution. We're going to take away your defined benefit pension plan, and we're going to give you a defined contribution plan. So you're going to put money in, Uh and at the end of the day, you'll have a pile of money, and then it'll be worth more potentially, and then you can take it with you if you die. You can leave it to your beneficiaries. Um, What do you think about that? Well, people are fighting to retain their defined yeah, benefit plans. because they're so coveted. Because they're so coveted. Or they think they are. People don't want to lose them. Yeah. In fact, there's strikes, there's all kinds of issues from a, from a defined yeah. benefit pension plan over negotiating wages and benefits for all employees. So a defined benefit pension plan is just like an annuity. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It provides a lifetime income guaranteed for your entire life potentially to your spouse or partner as well for their life. And then it ends when, when you end Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. There's never a legacy left to a defined benefit pension plan, unless you died very early in the first year or two of, of getting it. But so yet we're so afraid to use our own capital to buy an annuity for ourselves and creating this lifetime income stream. Mm. So that's my first rant about (laughs) annuities is really that these are like defined benefit pension plans. And when we think about creating your retirement paycheck, I'm really looking, thinking about three legs of the stool and the three legs are the personal pension. So that's like a defined benefit pension plan or an annuity. 
a systematic withdrawal plan where you're, you've got a pile of money, your investments, and you're taking money out on a monthly basis. You're redeeming money on a monthly basis. And then the third leg is what we call a hybrid or a lifetime income benefit, where you get the benefits of growth in the market potentially, but also a lifetime income benefit as well. Mm-hmm. And all of these are designed to, the, the three legs of the stool are designed to help reduce the risk of longevity but also maintain your retirement income throughout your life mm-hmm. and your spouse. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, we ask about how an annuity works and what are kind of some of the features of it. And I was reading an article recently and they sort of shared a story about how an annuity could work and what it's sort of visualizing it. So I thought I'd share that with listeners today. And so our story starts off with five widows and they're all age 95. Hmm. Now you might joke about that because I have clients that are 95, <laughs> so this is not that uncommon. But it, so it, these five widows for the last 30 years have been getting together every month to play poker. Mm-hmm. And so one week, one month, they, they get together. A lively bunch. A lively bunch. And <laughs> one, of the, one of the five 95-year-old widows suggests, mm-hmm. you know what? This is getting kind of boring after a while. We need to raise the stakes a little. Why don't we do this? Let's each put in a hundred bucks on the table and at the end of one year, whoever is still alive will split the pot. Mm. And so they all agree that, all right, well, that sounds kind of exciting. So they all stick their hundred bucks onto the table. And furthermore, but let's not tell our children about this because they might think we're kind of crazy. And then one of them actually suggests, well, instead of just leaving the 500 bucks lying around in an envelope. Let's invest it. Yeah. Let's put it into something. And so let's assume that they put the money into an investment and it earns 5% over the next 12 months. And so at the end of one year, they would have $525 in the pot. And so what statistics tell us is that if you're in a group of people age 95, that 20% of the group will die in one year. Hmm. That's just the normal statistical odds. Hmm. So I wonder if that later, came up around the card table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they all knew that the chances are one of them might not be here right. next year. So they were all kind of willing to yeah. take on the take on the gamble. Are they playing poker or <laughs> <laughs> your odds might have been better for a different game? Is that Russian roulette? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so one year later. Indeed, one of them has passed away under the statistical norm. 20% of the group will Uh die. So how did the remaining four make out? And so we looked at it and thought, okay, wait a minute. We had $525 in the pot Mm -hmm. divided by four means they're each going to get $131.25 each. It's fantastic. It's a 31 and a quarter percent return. They mm-hmm. each put in a hundred. They're getting back $131 and 25 cents. Mm-hmm. Well, where did that return come from? How did you get that? Well, from the dead person. That's basically right. And <laughs> it's so their, it's their share. That's right. The capital, but there's, so there's two parts, right? There's three parts technically. So there's the original capital. Mm-hmm. So they each got a hundred, the survivor got their hundred dollars back that they mm-hmm. put in. They also got the investment earnings, a share of the investment earnings. So it was $25 divided by four people. Mm -hmm. They got $6.25. So that was about 5% of the total. And so the capital was 76% of their total of $131.25. The investment earnings were 5%. And $25 were mortality credits, the secret sauce. And that represented 19% return on their total take. So if you outlive your buddies, 
you're doing well. So how an annuity works is exactly that. Yeah. When you get when you get your payback on a monthly basis, the insurance company has calculated the secret sauce element to it, mm-hmm. and you will get a share of those people that are going to die early. Right. But you get it right from the beginning right. and all the way through your entire life. Yeah. And so again, people say, well, it ends when you end. But just like your pension plan ends when you end, it's the exact same thing. Right. But what's comforting about it is if you are one of the people that, if you're the other 80% that mm-hmm. lives, you get the benefit of this process. Mm-hmm. If you're dead, well, the only person, this is why they didn't tell their children, the only person uh-huh. that doesn't know is the children because they right. didn't get the 100 bucks right. in terms of an they inheritance. They don't get a return, yeah. Right? So again, I think that the... Um, you know, the, the annuity process is something that is worth exploring and there are all kinds of And you compare that to a defined benefit plan. I do. Yeah. I do. What I do, what I'm That's comparing it to, is. what I'm trying to get people to understand is when you're dead, it's how hard. important or how valuable is it to you because those defined benefit pension plans are something that we covet. Yeah. yeah. We want to hang on to them. We like the idea of that defined benefit pension plan. We're putting money into it mm-hmm. every year from our paycheck. It grows and they tell us how much we're going to get back in terms of a set dollar amount or a percentage of our income. And, but then it ends when we end. Right. And so, so they're, they're making generating revenue the same way as they, the annuity is. And annuity is in the sense that when you pass, your it, share just goes that's into right. everybody else's. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So every pension plan works on the mortality credits, the secret right. sauce right. recipe right. to determine some how much out, people are going to get. Yeah. Right? They know some people will die young and they know some people will live longer right. as well. Right. So you know, this is the challenge for Don and I as we begin to think about all of the baby boomers today and as you convert your age, what age does it make sense to buy an annuity? Mm. What type of it, you know, it, it, there's a certain, we look at the statistical, the rate of return, that secret sauce element to it. The longer you wait before you get the secrets, the more of the secret yeah. sauce, the higher, higher your payout, but then you don't have as long as potentially right. to live. So generally today we're looking somewhere between the age of 60 and 70 is an excellent time to look at buying an, a life annuity. Right. Before age 60, it's not a very good payoff. Right. Um, after age 70, uh, it's still a valuable tool. But so who would this be <clears throat> perfect for? Perfect for anybody who's coming into retirement. They're in the, between age 60 and 70. Right. This is an right. ideal. And what about income? Does that... Income doesn't Does it matter. matter how much you have saved in a uh, big pile? Or? Well, we do talk about, again, I come back to sort of the three legs of the stool. So you wouldn't want to allocate all of your money to an annuity. If right. you had 600000 so if you had $600,000 in retirement savings, I think you would think about allocating $200,000 right. to a life annuity, $200,000 to a systematic withdrawal plan where you just have money and you're pulling money out on a monthly basis. And the third piece would be some kind of hybrid product where you can still have a lifetime income, right. but... and. and and knowing that that's going to be protected. And that way you've kind of covered off all of the different angles. And it's, um, so I think it's important to make sure as you're creating your retirement paycheck, how best to do this. The other thing is you can also purchase things like deferred annuities. And what this means is um, a deferred income annuity, a DIA, means that you purchase the annuity today, but they're going to start paying you out at some point in the future. And so you can pay less today to get a, a larger amount later because right. it's sitting with the insurance company for a number of years and it can continue to grow. There are also indexed annuities. So you're you're going to either set a certain amount, like a 2% indexing every year. In other right. words, your monthly benefit will increase every year. So you're protecting yourself against future inflation. Um, 
Tax-wise, if you're using an, uh, your RSP money to purchase an annuity, then every dollar that comes out is taxable, just as if a defined benefit pension plan. Right. If you use your non-registered money, the government has special treatment for annuities, and it's called a prescribed annuity, where they spread out the interest part, the investment earnings part, over your normal lifespan your statistical lifespan. And what that means is that it, re- it really reduces the amount of income tax you have to pay for every $1,000 you receive from right. your annuity. Hmm. So annuities, they're definitely the secret sauce. Talk to your financial planner about how it can work for you. Make it one of the legs of your retirement stool. Or, of course, talk to my financial planners, Don or Andy. Uh, Don and Andy, of course, and myself hosting Planning Your Financial Future. You can reach them at Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. Check out the website, andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are Planning Your Financial Future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can even ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Talking about protectionism. Is this your Trump segment? Yeah, a bit of a hot topic this last week. Boy, is it ever. uh, Holy smokes. and, And you know what? You go back to my university training, which I'm not an economics major, Mm -hmm. but that was certainly part of my uh, commerce degree at McMaster here. And so you had to do a lot of economic courses. And one of the courses certainly was about um, comparative advantage. Mm -hmm. And basically what it is, is you want to deal with the country that can produce the goods and services for the least expensive Mm -hmm. and the most efficient so that everyone should be acquiring those goods and services with that money that they're making and they're doing the, a job that is the most efficient where they live. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you're getting the most efficient um, use of what you do for a living mm-hmm. and you're buying the most efficient goods right. in the world and where they're produced the most, you know, the least cost and, mm-hmm. you know, and still the qualities there. And it was qu- kind of interesting. You hear all this thing about uh, adding tariffs mm-hmm. and basically what that does is you're subsidizing l- less efficient businesses. Yeah, And so, you go back and there's this stockbroker, Adam Smith, and he read this book called The Wealth of Nations that just basically did this. The interesting part about this book, 1799. Hmm. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this isn't that new. Hmm. And then I, I'm looking at a lot of the things that are going on south of the border, and I said, boy, this sounds a lot like a book I read, 1984. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and coincidentally- Lots are making that comparison. Oh, and coincidentally enough, that moved to number six mm-hmm. in the Amazon list in the last week. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of protectionism is usually it's a, a result of uneducation or, or lack of training. So mm-hmm. here in, in, in Hamilton, you have steel factories. Well, if it was the best place to produce steel, fantastic. Mm-hmm. We should be, and it's the least expensive for the best steel. They'd be lining up. They'd be lining up. Yeah. Absolutely. So <clears> what <throat> happens? DeFasco realized years ago, or ArcelorMittal now, that producing the steel isn't necessarily the best thing. Maybe in a specific type of steel. Yeah and adding added value. It turns out- And that's why that company succeeded. And it's doing fantastic. Yeah. And having record years, in fact, talking to some of my DeFasco clients, it's like the crown jewel yeah. of ArcelorMittal. Yeah. They make more money uh, kind of per ton yeah. than anywhere else. Very, very efficient. So they want, they love Hamilton as mm-hmm. and, and De, ex-DeFasco. So you look at that, but 30 times the industry is in post- steel. Mm-hmm. So after the steel is made, 
30 times of it is the fabrication of steel. Yeah. So what happens in here in, in Hamilton, if we were the most efficient, if we weren't efficient and we started tariff, adding 20% tariffs to Chinese steel and whatever other steel, um, it's just so that we would be competitive, we end up using more expensive steel here. Mm-hmm. So we save these jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, then you get 30 times the number of jobs that you're using more, more expensive steel yeah. to fabricate. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're not efficient mm-hmm. on that side. And so it ends up being very short-sighted. And this is the whole idea of protectionism and why it never worked. Mm-hmm. And it has never worked. And yeah. you can go through all history. It's, it's interesting. Worked. It's interesting when Trump started spouting off about reopening NAFTA. And of course, we're going to tear it up. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And every business professor I had on in the week after said, well, NAFTA is 25 years old. It needs to be renegotiated. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. knows this. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's a big deal yeah. either way, sure. uh, you know, if it's renegotiated or not. It, it's amazing how the rhetoric has sort of gotten ahead of the story here. Absolutely. And, and it's kind of interesting. And a very easy um, <clears throat> kind of analogy is one guy stood up and he, had, he held up an avocado. Mm-hmm. And something like 90% of all avocados are coming from Mexico. Yeah. Well, if they put a 20% tariff on avocados, mm-hmm. that avocado in New York City, according to this person, costs a dollar. Yeah. Well, now it's going to cost a dollar twenty. Yeah. Who's paying the dollar twenty? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're still going to buy the avocados here. Yeah. And it was interesting too. Remember when free trade or NAFTA first came out in in the eighties and such and nineties, they were, and they were negotiating it. They were, it was a lot of the unions that were upset and said, NAFTA is going to, going to kill us. And now that there's talking about renegotiating NAFTA, it's the unions that are speaking up and saying it's going to kill us. So their story really hasn't changed whether it's pre or post NAFTA. It really hasn't. (laughs) Well, it it always comes down to um, getting the right education. So when you're going to areas that people weren't retooled or re-educated yeah. so they're still doing say the coal industry yeah and and they're still doing the same thing you got to look what is their job worth yeah and it's only worth as much as the most efficient use of making electricity mm-hmm. and or if it's if it's steel what is a steel worth uh, worker worth well it's worth as much as producing that steel anywhere in the world yeah and therefore you have to get retrained and so you're seeing people that weren't ever retrained and that's the biggest problem yeah. because now you got these jobs that no longer exist not because they've never stepped it up yeah. because somebody with less training could do that job right and so you're looking at walmart right now they did a half a trillion half a trillion i have no idea what half a trillion is okay that's 500 billion in sales last year they grossed more money than any other company and what they do they seek the most value yeah. for the least amount of cost. And a tough company to deal with if you talk to any uh, other suppliers. Absolutely. Same as Costco, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what all companies are trying to do. Yeah. They are trying to become the most efficient to get their bottom line. And if they don't get it in, in l- large profit margins, then they look at volume. Yeah. And that's what Walmart's done. Yeah. They look at massive volume. And so if they start to have protectionism or adding tariffs, who ends up paying for it is the prices just go up. Yep. And end up all the citizens end up paying yeah. for it. So yeah. we end up actually reducing our lifestyle yeah. because that guacamole now uh-huh. costs twenty percent more. Uh-huh. I'm going to eat twenty percent less. I'm going to have less yeah. guacamole, or it takes that money out of your budget, so you can't do something else with right. that money. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and which is the whole idea of economics is the propensity to spend. And if you have less money to spend because you can't buy as much, yeah. the money doesn't go around in circles as yeah. much. And generally, going back to and I'm going back thirty years, but this hasn't changed. Say, say a 90% per, 
propensity to spend. So if you get $100, you spend 90 of it. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy that's got the $90 now, he spends 90% of that. Mm-hmm. So it goes tenfold. So your $100 actually helps the economy by thousandfold. Yeah. But any extra taxes always ends up hurting that money because you have less money to spend. Yeah. Less yeah. multiplier. Less Plus, multiplier. how can you go back to a protectionist model at this stage of the game when NAFTA and all these other free trade agreements are in place? I mean, we have really become a global village, a global economy. You know, maybe before all this started 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, you could have done that. But can you, it, can you turn this back? It makes no sense. And you look at uh, Japan, Taiwan, countries that literally were demolished to say World yeah, War II. Yeah. Had to start from scratch. Yeah, yeah. If we weren't able to start using them, yeah. and they're you know they're making cheap products back then. Japan yeah. would go back. Yeah. You know, um, it was called Jack crap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, way yeah, way back. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. terrible products. Yeah. Now they've got high quality products because yeah, like they camera. focused all their attention on that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So now they are importing these higher products, but at the same time, people on this end are using those same products in developing other things and they're importing stuff back to Japan. Mm -hmm. So it still goes down to what's the most efficient, least expensive, Mm -hmm. same value Mm -hmm. way to get your your data. And that's what stock market's about. Profits, companies always seek to try to get the best profit Mm -hmm. based on availability of the least expensive way of getting it. And so if it's made in Japan or Taiwan or China, whatever, you still got to ship it over. But taking into account all the costs, if it's still half the price as a Canadian yeah. making a sweater, mm-hmm. well, we won't be making sweaters anymore. No. And why should we? Mm-hmm. Okay. maybe. And we- it's, it'll be interesting to see if Americans are willing to give up Walmart so Donald Trump can bring all the jobs back, the manufacturing yeah. jobs, because that's, right, that's that the trade-off, cost, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, very, very short-sighted because what ends up happening, we actually, in our, our um, extra money per, like, after inflation has grown up seven times in the last 40, 17 times in the last 40 years, mm-hmm. in inflation, it would have only been two and a half times. Mm-hmm. So if you made $10,000 uh, 40 years ago, that's 25,000 now, but you're, you've got, you can actually spend 17 times more mm-hmm. because of the prices have dropped. Right. And so you're, you're actually, you're, we're, we're way better off than when we were 40 years ago. Well, look at some of the products we purchase now. We haven't been able to purchase products oh. like at that price for 20, 30 years. I mean, but, you know, even yes. vehicles, when you think about vehicles. it, have, have stabilized quite oh. a bit. Yeah. TVs. Mm-hmm. There you go. You yeah. know, look at TVs. It was a massive thing. You looked at this tiny little box that was black and white back mm-hmm. in the day. It cost almost as much as a car. Yeah. Now yeah. it's like, oh, geez, you know, I got this old TV. It's three years old. Maybe yeah. I should get a new one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, can go, I can go to Best Buy and pick one yeah. up for $1,000 or wherever a else. A 1,000-inch TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A drive-in. So yeah. our our quality of life goes way up yeah. because of the lack of protectionism, mm-hmm. free tr- letting the borders empty out and letting the most efficient use of money. And this is pure economics. This yeah. isn't a political statement. And that's why countries like Russia are having so much difficulty right now. They just can't keep up with the production that we have. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you still have to have the workforce. We Canada is skilled with labor force, very mm-hmm. skilled, smart, well-educated. Um, and, and because we always try to up it to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if we didn't, if we still said we want to make steel and that's yeah. it, yeah. and we never retrained, yeah. there would be a lot of unemployed people. Yeah. And not to mention the other part of this whole thing is efficiency also lies in automation. Mm-hmm. So if it's not, if it took 10 people to make steel in Hamilton, it's only taken one now. Yeah. It's the microchip we're actually competing against. Yeah. But again, that spins off whole new industries yeah. that... We are very much high tech now, yeah. and so there's stocks such creating as creating those industries. exactly yeah. Apple, yeah. Google, Facebook, yeah. who are now looking with uh, you know bans on 
uh, bans on travel mm-hmm. to maybe moving to Canada. Mm-hmm. We're looking pretty good right now. Yeah, really. Because our borders are open. So this is this has never worked. Um, going back to 1799 when this book was written, these principles have always been the case. The markets will adjust. And you're seeing, you know, obviously last week the markets have been dropping because of the backlash of, of travel ban. Mm-hmm. But protectionism, tariffs, they end up making things less efficient which end up hurting everybody's pocket and everybody's rates of return. It's like people don't realize that we produce more. If you're building cars, we produce way more cars than we'll ever consume. We yeah. have to get rid of them. We have to sell them to other countries in order to generate a living in, in the standard of living that we have. We don't just build the cars for Canada. We just don't build our products for us. Oh, no question. Yeah. We don't need them. Yeah. And, and you, know, you can look at uh, whatever industry. Um, <clears throat> Iceland happens to be a, one that's very popular now. They used to be simply... Their number one industry was fish, mm-hmm. fisheries. Yeah. Number two happened to be aluminum because they produce so much electricity. Yeah. They have so many waterfalls and things, and it's no pollution. So they may, they get their aluminum shipped there because they got all this basically free electricity. Mm-hmm. So even though they don't have any of the bauxite, they get it shipped there. Yeah. And they're one one of the their number three producer number. Th- three on their list of GDP is aluminum. Mm-hmm. Number one is tourism. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't there. Mm-mm. 10 years ago, but they created, you know, build it and they will come. Yeah. And now it's like... Plus social media helps with a lot media, of that. Social yes. media, um, yes. everything else. Mm-hmm. And so now you say all the spinoffs of that. And this is, you know, you go example after example, and this is where when you're investing your money, you can trust that the companies are always looking at the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. So if there is bans here or there, it actually may hurt the country that puts in the bans of the oh, tariffs. Yeah. But... The countries, there'll be a, people still want these goods. Nobody yeah. wants a drop in lifestyle. Yeah. So then they'll just get produced elsewhere. Mm. And well, it was interesting. There were, there were even comments last week that uh, America pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, could just open and give more leeway to China as a result. And right. they may be right. the, bene- the beneficiary of that. So again, um, it, it's a world economy. You don't fill the space, someone else will. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it comes down to, it's, it's a pure economics. It's, uh, it's looking at a bigger picture, and it's not looking at alternative facts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Are you supposed to say that on this show? <laughs> it is looking at whatever has always worked for like 300, 400 years. People made these, these models, and they have never been disproven. Mm-hmm. So until they're not disproven, they work. Yeah. And that's always been the case with any economics until they can actually prove that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then they have to prove it again and say, okay, we made a, we made a flaw. Yeah. And so 1799, that book was just as important then mm-hmm. as it is now. So mm, Interesting. But here we are into RSP season now. And you're thinking, okay, we got one month. It's hard to believe February is here. <laughs> that's what, right. What do we do? And it's a big question mark right now. Is, uh, Hibernate? We have, op- we have <laughs> options. Uh, first of all, um, should you even contribute to an RSP? Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest decision we are having right now. Um, should you go on TF- TFSAs or should you go on RSPs? And that's kind of the million-dollar question. And it is a purely – you can look at it two ways. You can look at purely financial, mm-hmm. which means what's going to give me the best financial bang for my buck. Or you can also look at it like psychologically. So I'll start with the psychological one. I was just about to say, screw the psychological. What's the money? <laughs> I'll keep you hanging <laughs> on right, that one. All right, all right. The psychological one is if you put money into an RSP, you always feel you can never get it. 
So people, just like Andy was yeah. talking in the last segment about uh, defined benefit plans or, or even any kind of pension plan, nobody says, you know what, I need 50 grand. Um, I got a family emergency. Let's go raid the RSP. <laughs> I'm going to go cash in the pension plan at work. I'm sure they'll let me yeah. because, you know what, my kids really need a new car to get going. <clears throat> they won't do that, first of all, because they can't. they got rules around it. But then the RSPs are just almost as sticky. Even though you can cash in the RSPs, they won't because they'll pay a boatload of tax on it. Mm-hmm. So RSPs, even the word retirement savings plans often keep people from touching it. Yeah. So that's the psychological part. Um, if you have a financial planner that is looking at the bigger picture, I know Andy and I will look at the tax brackets and we'll say, okay, should you go in the RSP or, or a TFSA? So I saw a client's son um, this past week and he's making 40000 a year. Well, so And he's, on, he's just started starting his career. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's in a 20% tax bracket. Okay. Well, if he puts a thousand into an RSP, he's only going to pay. He's only going to save two hundred dollars in tax. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to get this RSP. Mm-hmm. Well, I suggested he start putting money in this TFSA mm-hmm. because within they already promised him within three years he'd be making sixty five thousand, mm-hmm. and then who knows after that? Well, at sixty five thousand, he's in a thirty percent tax bracket, close to twenty nine point six five. So it's call it a ten percent difference. So if he waits. Build it up in the TFSA until he gets raised three years later. He can then move the money over to the RSP, and he's going to get a ten percent increase in the tax savings at that right, time. Right. So that same thousand dollars is going to save him three hundred dollars mm-hmm. rather than two hundred dollars. And what's so important about this is you have to pull these monies out of the RSP sooner or later. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, and the psychological psychological part comes into play: Will you have the self discipline yeah. not to touch your TFSA? Especially as a young person. As mm-hmm. a young person. And this is where- Although there's probably no age limit there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good point. Actually, a very good yeah. point. But uh, so the, you have to look at the psychological part and the financial part and determine which way you should go. <laughs> we are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about short-term versus long-term here. Yeah, when it, you know, when it comes to making your investment decisions, I think that it's, well, I think every investor dreads volatility. Yeah. We all don't, nobody likes volatile markets. And the, the problem is, is that the response to volatility is often that you want to jump out of your investments when the market goes down and then try to attempt to get back into them when it goes up, mm-hmm. right? That perfect timing. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. And we know that historically that markets will always fluctuate. There's no doubt about that. And mm-hmm. we'll talk, I want to put that in a little bit of context, what's been going on recently with um, the Trump effect, et cetera. But I think the only really proven approach to, from an investment standpoint, is time in the market, not trying to time the market. Time in the market is the key. And study after study has proven that the time in the market delivers a much better return than trying to time the market. And so we have did a little bit of research and some of the findings that are really supporting that long-term investment strategy 
and there's four main points here that I want to talk about. But first one is that the strongest market returns occur in the period immediately following a sharp decline. And there are all kinds of mini declines throughout throughout any given uh, calendar year, and um, but the period following those declines tend to be very positive. So again, the reality is, if you can buy at the low point, you're going to be well served. And looking back since 1948, we we have an analysis or one piece we look at, and we try and identify every calendar year was the Canadian stock market have a positive return. Or did it have a negative return in that calendar year? And then we stack them all up based on categories, you know, zero to plus 10%, plus 10 to plus 20%, plus 20 to plus 30, and then on the negative side as well. And so you create this sort of chart that looks like a bell with a skewed more towards the positive. Because what we've discovered is that statistically in the last 68 years, 69 years, 48 years have been positive and 21 years have been negative in terms of rate of return. Mm -hmm. So basically 70% of the time the market goes up and 30% of the time the market goes down. And when you look at, when you sort of build that into what's been the rate of return over that time period, it's been very good. But Mm -hmm. it's the reality is again, it's time in the market, not trying to time the market. We also know since we're looking at um, those those declines, what happens afterwards, since 1950, the following the worst 12-month period in the performance of the Toronto stock market, the market has made solid gains Solid gains just 12 months later with only one exception. So since 1950, every single decline has been followed by a 12-month positive gain except for once. And within five years, the markets were up significantly, which again has exceeded the you know your normal expectations from a return. So that's number one. Number two is that history has shown us economic recoveries following recessions are typically strong and durable. And uh, we know that, in fact, the period of expansion and in following a downturn, the average period of expansion is 57 to 60 months, almost five years of expansion Hmm. following a recessionary downturn. That's number two. And in that same vein, after 1960, so if we just look at more recent periods, the average period of expansion after a recession has been 71 months, almost six years. So it's expanded to almost six years Mm -hmm. post-recession. So, you know, I, I sit here and I'm kind of rubbing my hands thinking, wow, if there's a recession, <laughs> this is the fantastic opportunity. Can I get my clients to get in yeah. when the market's down? Because the next five to six years are going to be a real opportunity for them to grow their assets. And that should be easy. When the prices are low, doesn't everybody want to buy? Yeah. Uh, they all call. That's does, when they call. Now, does that, does that uh, strategy work even considering the recession we had in 2008? Will that, does, does that bear fruit here? It does. And yeah. that was fan- that's a fantastic example. Very strong, very strong recession results after the 2008. In fact, (laughs) uh, the one year, you know, if you look at uh, that example from 2008, the market had gone down uh, 39.2% during that time period. And then in the, in the years following, it went up uh, over the next six years, it went up 86%. Hmm. So more certainly exceeded what it should be. Um, And finally, although negative returns in the short term, are relatively frequent, the possibility of receiving a positive return greatly increases as your investment term lengthens. So when we look from 1960 to the end of 2015, 
if you invested in the stock market, the Toronto stock stock market for one year, you uh, and a positive it resulted in a positive return seventy five percent for the one year period, while staying invested for fifteen years resulted in a positive return one hundred percent of the time. So let me say that again. If you invest in the Toronto stock market over a period of one year, 75% of the time you end up with a positive return. If you stay invested in the Toronto stock market for 15 years, 100% of the time you would have a profit. Mm -hmm. You would make money no matter what Hmm. since 1960. It looks like one out of four would be negative, but that's the one thing everybody says, well, we had three positive years in a row. I guess we we're going to have a negative one now. Yeah. It doesn't work quite that easy. Right, no. right. Not that predictable. Not nearly that predictable. <laughs> Unfortunately. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, timing the market and trying to time the market is something we're even getting questions about right now with the Donald Trump situation. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I shouldn't put money in. And I think that that's false in the context that there will always be political disruption. There will yeah. always be economic disruption. And Every four years. Never, <laughs> that should never dictate your long-term strategy in terms of your investments. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. You can also ask a question or check out old archive shows on their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And you can check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about turning your savings into income. Yes. Now, all these people have been saving in their RSPs diligently mm-hmm. for many years. And now it's like, uh, you know, what do I do? And I know Andy gave an option. Uh, an annuity is an option, mm-hmm. which isn't a, a kind of the norm because annuities are thought of that, okay, my employer will just buy me an annuity and I get $1,000 a month or 2000 a month for as long as I live. Mm-hmm. But when you have the decision, you've got your 400000 or 500000 or a million dollars saved in your RSPs, now you got to decide what to do. Yeah. And possibly an annuity might be a part of that. As Andy said, it might be a three-prong approach and uh, possibly, okay, let's take 300000 and we'll get a guarantee no matter what um, you know, so what if my kids don't get that one third of my money, yeah. but at least I know I've got this happy money coming in every month. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's really kind of like, cause you don't have to worry about any markets. You're getting a guaranteed income. <clears throat> then you got the other part and you say, okay, I want to manage this part. And you say, okay, what should I do? Well, first of all, the biggest thing I, I, the question I get the most is, well, I don't have to do anything until I'm 71. And that's true. In fact, it's gotten to the point that people say, well, I can't touch it until I'm 71. And it's turned right around. That's actually the deadline. So the year you turn 71, you must move your RSPs mm-hmm. into either an annuity or a RIF, a registered retirement income fund. By far, the RIF is far more popular because you're still in control of your money. And it's still, I guess, money that will go to your estate eventually, albeit after tax. So you have this decision, well, the first year you can get your income or you have to take your income is not the year you turn 71, it's actually the following year. So you move it into a RIF when you're 71 and the year you turn 72 is when you start getting an income. But should you take it then? And that's a question we talk about, Andy and I talk about all the time of trying to, should you take it out earlier? Well, the first thing I find is you might wanna look at taking it at 65 if you haven't qualified for the pension credit. Mm -hmm. And the pension credit has to come from a defined, some type of pension, not your Canada Pension Plan or old age security. 
and in RIF counts, or in UDs from an RSP do count. And it's a it's not the end of the world, but it works out to $409 of savings when you get this credit. So you get $2,000 of money and basically get a $409 credit. Well, if you're in the lowest tax bracket, it means you paid no tax on that money at all. Mm-hmm. So, but even if you're in the middle bracket, I, I wouldn't mind paying only 10% tax. So if you're 65, I highly recommend you get, make sure you and your spouse are claiming your pension credit. And you don't both have to get the RIF because you can income split as long as you're both over 65. Mm-hmm. But make sure that's $2,000 for you and $2,000 for your spouse. That's $4,000 of potential RIF income that would be tax-free. Mm-hmm. Okay, so highly, highly recommend this because I look at this, if you have a couple and they haven't done this and I've come across a few of them over the years, there's six, seven years actually that they wouldn't have pulled out this money. Well, seven times 4,000 is $28,000 that you can have tax-free RIF income. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, people are just not, are not being probably told or advised that they should be doing this. So that's number one. Number two is I I had a situation this week, uh, people and they're retiring at 60. Well, they're not going to collect their CPP till they're 65 or their old age security. And their income's only 40,000 a year right now. So I'm saying, okay, well, you got a lot of RSPs. Why don't we bring your income up to 73,000? I don't need the money. Well, this is the problem. Because you have so much in RSPs, when you do start drawing this money out, you're gonna get a lot of clawback on your old age security. And clawback currently starts at Mm $73,756. So around it to 74,000. For every dollar you make over 74,000, you lose 15 cents. Mm -hmm. And if you can pull money out of your RSPs and only pay way before, and only pay 30% tax on it, that's not a bad deal. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, if you and your wife, say, have a half a million dollars in RSPs each, or you and your husband, and one dies, well, it all goes to the remaining spouse. Mm -hmm. So now the remaining spouse has a million dollars of RSPs or RIFs, Mm -hmm. which is not taxable, hasn't been taxed yet. And now that remaining person will never qualify for the old age security, because there's so much money there. And even worse, upon their death, you got a million dollars taxed yeah. in the year of death, yeah. which anything over 220,000 is taxed at 53.5%. Yeah. So all of a sudden you say 53.5% versus 30%, what do I wanna pay? Mm-hmm. And 30% is a good deal. Yeah. So this is all about the financial plan, tax planning, estate planning, making sure you're packaging this all together. The investments, yes, okay we should be working on what's the best mix for your investments. But once that's done, what order of, of uh, withdrawal should you take? Mm-hmm. Should you maybe should really pull out a ton between 60 and 65 right. and then tailor it back because now you're getting your Canada pension plan right. and, uh, mm-hmm. and your old age security. And then you gotta think, okay, what if I die? What would my income be then? And then you say, okay, well, I'll still try to get my income right up to the OAS clawback limit. Mm-hmm. And then I can pull that money out and put it in my TFSA if, if you haven't used up that room and it's all tax free. Yeah. So there's lots of strategies. You <clears throat> definitely have, it, this, is, this is a purely financial, it, it's not just guesswork. This is doing right to the tax act of how much you should pull out to get the best benefit 
And it comes back to what I was saying about efficiency and protectionism. Well, it comes down to tax efficiency. Mm-hmm. You do not want to pay the government one extra penny, whether now or, or upon your death. Mm-hmm. And this is all, and you have to do it while you're alive to get the most efficient um, tax plan. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And you can go to their website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see Thank you next you, week. Scott. Thank you very much, Scott.